Welcome back, everybody. It's time for another episode of WVU Marketing Communications Today. Brought to you by the good folks at West Virginia University. It's a syndicated show that sits squarely at the intersection of data-driven decision-making and modern marketing practices. So here we are coming at you deep in the bunker somewhere. Whitney Drake. Hey, Whitney. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, I we I asked uh, we tried this earlier in the day and I had a little trouble, so we're doing it again here. And I asked before, are you deep in the General Motors bunker? There must be one for the special executives, twenty stories below the street level. There's a bunker, but we're all work from home. <laughs> See, I knew we're that. All, we're all been dispatched to our home offices thanks to COVID nineteen. So okay. we're all Well, today you're going to talk about something equally as mysterious and strange, the yin and yang of positioning and branding. I didn't know there was a male and female part to this. I didn't know there were two sides. I think it's more about the rational and the emotional side. Mm, But Andy, the founder and president of Cunningham Collective, a marketing brand and communication strategy firm dedicated to bringing innovation to market, is going to tell us more about it. So welcome, Andy. Thanks, Whitney. It's great to be here. We're here to talk about the yin and yang of positioning and branding. And in the write-up, it talks about like a new color scheme or a new logo doesn't just define a brand. A brand has to express the company's unique role and relevance. It's a position that's authentic and differentiated. So can you talk about the difference between positioning and branding? Sure, absolutely. I think that first it sort of starts with my basic thesis that companies are a lot like people because they're made up of people and they serve people and people work there. They have many of the same traits as people have and they have, like we do, they have a rational side and an emotional side. And I look at positioning as the rational side of a company. It's the very basic description of a company's role and relevance in the marketplace, and that must reflect their business strategies. But it's a very basic, rational description of who they are and and why they matter. The other side of a company's identity, just like humans, is the emotional side, and I call that the branding side. And branding is that same role and relevance, but it's expressed in tone of voice, choice of language, color palette, logos, uh, the way that you talk to people, And so you need both of those things in order to make a company's identity whole, just like a human has to have a rational side and an emotional side. And the last thing I'll say about it is that just like humans, if you act emotionally before you have a rational approach, you are likely to make a mistake. And so what we really ask companies to do is to come to a decision on their positioning, their rational side, before they augment that with the emotional side. I've seen so many companies try to do the emotional side first and only, and uh, and they get tripped up literally two weeks later because they don't have the answer to the question, who are you and why do you matter? So that's why both sides are really critical. Just like people, we all have rational sides and emotional sides, and it's really good to start with the rational. So can you talk to us a little bit about that methodology and how a company finds it? How, how do you guide them on this journey of figuring out the rational and then bringing in the emotional Because people are generally emotional and have emotional feelings, and that drives a lot of us. It really does. And the funny thing about the emotions is they're very much attracted to design and color and catchy taglines. And so it becomes kind of a, a race with logic to get to companies to have them do this work before they start in on that really fun, glitzy, sparkling stuff that we all love to do. 
Um, but the, we have developed, I've developed a methodology for getting people to aha, which is what I call it, which is really the answer to the question, who are you and why do you matter? And uh, that methodology examines six aspects of the market first. And we try to figure out where you fit in each one of those six aspects. So the first one is what we call your core DNA, which is kind of core to my methodology. And we've got three kinds of companies in the world. We've got customer-focused companies, product-focused companies, and concept-focused companies. I've nicknamed them mothers, mechanics, and missionaries. And when you understand which one of those you are, you can use that as a differentiator. For example, if you're a, a mother company or a customer-focused company and you try to pretend like you're a concept company, you're not authentic in the marketplace. So it really helps to understand what your DNA is, or what I like to say, to understand what you're made of so you can make something of it. The second thing we look at is the community that you are dealing with, and that is certainly your customers, but it's also all of the people who influence your customers, and you need to understand what your position is with them and where do you want to take that position and what do they think of you and how do they use that knowledge to influence purchase decisions. The third thing we look at is the competition, of course. We have to understand how they are all positioning themselves because we don't want them positioning themselves in such a way that it sounds exactly like what, what our companies are doing. So that understanding competition and differentiating yourself from them is critical. So we spend a lot of time on understanding what your differentiation is. We also look at the context in which all of this is happening. Context is the what's going on in the world. And right now, we all know there's a lot going on in the world right now. So that's why a lot of these advertisers have had to pull their ads, because it is out of context with what's going on in the world. But your positioning has, has to resonate with what's going on, contextually speaking, in the world. And then we also ask you to come up with a handful of criteria for what it actually is that is going to uh, make a good positioning statement, i.e., it must appeal to millennials, or it must be uh, it must be consumer oriented, or it must appeal to IT departments, or whatever. We we ask our clients to come up with a list of criteria. Anyway, that's a lot of talk there, but that's what the methodology examines before we actually figure out who are you and why do you matter. It's awesome. I love mothers, missionaries, and mechanics. <laughs> so you have had a great opportunity to work with some amazing clients. So are there a few examples of mothers, missionaries, and mechanics you could share with us? I'll use examples that everybody in the world kind of knows because some of these companies I've worked with and others I haven't. But let's start with a, a mother company. I think we, we're all familiar with Zappos, which is a very customer-focused company. And uh, their founder, Tony Shea, wrote a book called Delivering Happiness. That's very clearly a mother-oriented company. Another mother-oriented company is is Disney. Disney is all about creating happiness, and they do it through the experiences that they deliver. So those are a couple of great examples. Another example is Hallmark, the greeting card company. We've done some work with Hallmark. They are also a very mother-oriented company because they're all about caring shared, and I think that comes through in all of their marketing. So those, those are some mother companies, some more mechanic-oriented companies that everybody would recognize. I think people probably are familiar with Oracle, the giant IT software company. They're very much a mechanic. They're about the product. Microsoft is also very much a mechanic company. And in the world of retail, Walmart is also a very mechanic company. They're very much interested in the product that they're delivering and how they deliver it rather than the actual customer service side of it. And then my favorite, of course, and everybody's favorite, are the concept-oriented companies or the missionaries. And these are companies who really exist to change human behavior on a fundamental level. We know a lot of these from our past. For example, FedEx 
FedEx is a great example of a company that existed to change behavior. Apple was a company that existed to change behavior on a fundamental level. Starbucks changed the way we thought about coffee. Tesla changes the way we think about electric vehicles. So these are all companies typically led by visionaries, by very cult of personality type visionaries, and they're really trying to change the way humans actually behave. And the interesting thing about these three different kinds of companies is they all do things very differently. Mothers do things differently from mechanics who do things differently from from missionaries. They organize themselves differently. They measure success differently. They hire people differently, spend money on different things. They train people differently. They're, They're very, very different, which is how I came to this model in the first place. I looked at all the different behaviors of these different kinds of companies and came to the conclusion that there's really only three types, and you can tell by just watching what they do in a meeting. What they talk about in a meeting is a, a very good window into what kind of DNA they have. That's a really good point. The culture fits, it, uh, fits into the DNA. We've talked a little bit about the positioning, talked about the um, examples of companies. What are some common pitfalls that companies face when they're trying to find their position or build their brand? Well, I think when they're trying to find their position, most companies, they really want to be all things to all people. And so you sit in a meeting where people are trying to talk about their position, and instead of staking out a point on the map, they want to stake out an entire region on the map, right? They can't let go of certain parts of who they are in order to stand for something. And so it's very hard to get them to narrow that down. I liken it to when you go into your closet, and if you have 50 pairs of pants and 40 40 blouses and 16 sweaters and 95 pairs of shoes. It's very hard to make a choice for what it is you're going to wear. Whereas if you go into a closet and you only have 10 choices of each of these things, it's so much easier to make that decision. So less is really more because you can stand out better when you show up as one thing as opposed to showing up as 50 things. People can't absorb that much. It's too difficult for them to understand. It's true. I thought constantly about just having a uniform so that I don't have to make a decision. And I love shoes. So (laughs) I I love shoes too. I have so many shoes. I'm not a good example of this because I I could, I could never wear my shoes out. My husband doesn't understand that, but (laughs) I build my outfit around my shoes usually. That's where my decision begins. (laughs) So, so what are you wearing during this pandemic? I've just, I've got a bunch of sneaker type shoes. That's what I'm wearing. (laughs) I've been wearing all my sneakers. I've been rotating and I went to wear a pair the other day and realized that where I had purchased them did not take the stick security code off so I was super sad I couldn't wear my new pair of sneakers and you can't go get it taken off yeah (laughs) no yeah I was very disappointed I thought about well maybe I need to order another pair of sneakers and I slowly toned myself down so Um, you talk yourself off the ledge (laughs) I did (laughs) that's good I want to talk a little bit about a couple of highlights from your career, examples of things that you've seen that are aha moments that you could share. So my favorite aha moment, I was really lucky when I was a very young person to have wound up getting a job with an agency called Regis McKenna launching the Apple Macintosh. And I got to spend two full years working extremely closely with Steve Jobs when I worked for Regis McKenna. And then I went off and started my own company and got another three years of Steve Jobs. But the aha moment was really the day that we launched the Macintosh. It was on January 24th, 1984. I'll never forget that day. And I had spent the previous six months really trying to make the world understand what this computer was in a non-disclosure sort of way. So we had chosen 100 influencers out in the world, and I had spent, our team and me, spent time 
introducing them and educating each one of these hundred influencers about the Macintosh. And on the day that we launched, it was done at De Anza College in Cupertino, California, and we had the media there. And uh, it was a it was a an emotional moment. The entire Macintosh team burst out into tears. It was incredible. But on my drive home, I turned on the radio and I heard all of these radio announcers on every channel talking about the Macintosh and using the exact same words that I had educated them with for the previous six months. And that was the biggest aha, I think, of my career, where I said, you know what? This stuff really works. <laughs> this PR stuff. It was your home run. Magic. That's amazing. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was a really the biggest aha moment, I think, that I have ever had. But there's been others, but that was, that was life-changing. <laughs> That's fantastic. We're doing an abbreviated version today, so I want to ask two questions in one, and I think we'll probably be the end of it. What trends should we look for in the coming year, and then how do we find out more information about your methodology? The trends that are happening right now, and this is there's two things I'm going to talk about, and they both relate kind of to this pandemic thing. One trend is that we are everything is going to be showing up in both virtual and physical means from now on. You know how there are agencies and companies who have their digital department and then they have their other people? All of this is going to become one big thing, and you're going to be able to access anything you want, both virtually and physically, and it won't have this great separation. So I think that's a big trend that's happening. Another trend is in product launches. We used to launch them on a given day, right? We, we coordinated all of the media, and Apple still does this because they have their developer conference at, at which they do stuff like that. Salesforce does it at Dreamforce. A lot of the big companies, SAP does it at, at Sapphire. But if you're not one of those giant companies and you don't have that giant event where you can actually launch your products there, what, what companies are doing is they're moving to what I call the slow roll. There is no day of launch, right? You, you get a few customers. You bring in their feedback, you tweak the product a little bit, you get, you push it out again, you get a few more customers. Now you have a case study, you can put that up on your website. Now you have more information about the product and how people are using it. You can add content to your blog stream, just kind of a slow roll, right? You, and that is a huge shift over the way we used to launch products. So I think those are two, uh, one more, I'll give you one more trend. It's what I call SaaS Lash. So SaaS meaning software as a service and Lash as in Backlash. So I've nicknamed this uh, new trend, Fast Lash. And even before the pandemic, we started to see fatigue in corporations around buying SaaS software. And I think the reason is that because it's as a subscription, typically, companies were just acquiring, just like if you have too many magazine subscriptions, it's like at some point you have to say, I have to clear this out, I have too many, I'm not even using them. And that's what's been going on in the enterprise recently is they've got too many SaaS products and they've just sort of stopped buying new ones. And now with the pandemic, they're even more stopping than they, than they were before. So those are sort of three trends that I see, see happening in the world. And then I think you asked me how to learn more about the methodology. Well, I would just love it if you guys would buy my book. It's called Get to Aha, and it's available on Amazon. And it's written so that Anybody can understand it. You don't have to know one single thing about technology or marketing, uh, and you should be able to understand it. It's a very clear methodology, and it ends with six case studies of companies that have gone through the methodology with us. So, That's awesome. I, for one, am in total favor of the digital teams being more integrated. I've spent a lot of time being on those digital teams that have been kind of in the corner. So I am excited for that, and I am actually (laughs) going to go look up your book. So thank you so much for being with us today. Totally appreciate it. And I'll turn it back over to Paul. 
Thank you, Whitney. It was great to meet you. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Communications Today, brought to you live from West Virginia University, a weekly program that sits at the intersection of data-driven decision-making and marketing practice, only on the Funnel Radio Network, for at-work listeners like you.